by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Sometimes there's spiritual attacks going on. The devil does not want you to hear what you're about to hear. But guess what? You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it anyway. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8 says, For that righteous man dwelling among them. So right off the bat, you see this man is right with God, and he's dwelling among those who are not. Does that sound familiar? Maybe it sounds like every one of us in here, that we've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. And we're living in this world. We're not of this world, but we're in this world. And this righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now that word vexed could be translated today as tormented. There's a righteous man living in an unrighteous land and through what he sees with his eyes and what he hears with his ears, he observes their unrighteousness, the way they're living. His soul is vexed. Now your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's basically who you are as a person. It's the way you think, the way you choose, the way you understand things it's the way your emotions flow it's what puts you in that mood that you're in right and that can that can be a little iffy sometimes one i wake up happy and you know my breakfast burnt gets burnt and then all of a sudden i'm not happy anymore you know our emotions can be fragile especially if we're living among people who don't know the right way, aren't living right, saying things, doing things that aren't right, and that's all we see day by day. His righteous soul was vexed just day to day, day after day. And that's the way it is in 2024. That's the way it's been, I think, since COVID and a little bit before is the righteous in this nation, their souls are just being tormented. The world is turning darker. Unashamedly. Persecution for those who believe is on the rise. You're being challenged in your faith for the first time. And you're being tempted like never before. I've told you that today we're going to talk on fear and anxiety. But the principles that God is going to show us today are not just for fear and anxiety. They're to help you overcome things like sin in your life. 
These things that we'll talk about today will help you be, become an overcomer in every area of your life. Because I think, for the most part, the church is not even awake right now. The church doesn't even understand that we're under attack. It's like sometimes what I think about those knuckleheads in Washington. Our troops are under attack, but we don't even seem to care. I don't know where that came from, but the church, you, your, your sanity, your soul is under attack. Your children are under attack. Your faith is under attack. And we better wake up. And it's just day to day that's been driving at us, pushing us over the edge. We think we, we try and, and we do good for a while, but then it just, it's like this heavy oppression just continues to sit on us. But I'm here to tell you today there's a good fight of faith. And if you'll understand the good fight of faith, you'll understand your authority. You'll understand the tools that God has given you to live life godly amongst these heathens and to be a light in this dark world. You will understand that you do have everything that you need and you will overcome. Who are we talking about? In 2 Peter 2.8. Who is, who is Peter, Peter talking about? He's talking about Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, you know, back in the Old Testament, 4,000 years earlier. Abraham had been called to go to a place God was showing. God had a plan for Abraham. He said, leave your family, but he took Lot with him. But Lot went, and it caused Lot a righteous man. Lot must have been intent on serving the Lord along with Abraham. So he went with Abraham... And before you know it, they are so blessed that there's not enough room for all their flocks and herds. There ain't, we're so blessed we can't even sit on the same row together, Joe. So Abraham says, look, you just choose which direction you go and I'll go the other way. And Lot made the decision to live in Sodom and Gomorrah. He chose the rat race. He chose to live in amongst the world. Now maybe he had good intentions because he was a righteous man. But living among them day after day, seeing and hearing slowly, even this righteous man's soul became tormented. Now Abraham, on the other hand, he continued to have the idea, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to have some peace in my life. I'm going to have solace in my life. I'm going to sojourn with God. I'm going to act like I'm just a visitor in this strange land. I'm moving through. I ain't setting up stakes. I ain't counting all this stuff as my real life. My real life is hidden with God in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. So he decides he's going to live a different way. He's going, to, he's going to journey with the Lord. If the Lord says go, he's going to go. He's not just going to sit amongst all these worldly things and let it vex his soul. Now, who did it work out for? Abraham became the father of many nations. Abraham became the father of our faith. He did great and mighty exploits. 
Abraham saw miracles, signs and wonders. And Lot, well, not a lot. <laughs> Lot lost his family. Well, at least he lost his wife. Do you know that when you live in the world, even if you think you're strong enough to, I can, I can do all the things the world does, and, and I know my relationship with God, I can, but your family sees you in all that stuff. And his wife couldn't handle it. His wife tried to be strong too, I'm sure, but when it was time to go, the angels had to grab Lot and his family by the wrist and drag them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, even though they knew destruction was coming. And I'm telling you, destruction is coming on this nation, and God is like trying to grab us by the wrist, and some of us are like, no, I want to look back. I want to, I want to stay. You say, not me. I'm going when God calls. I'm sure Lot's wife thought so too, but she had become so, in, it had come ingrained in her the things of this world. And he lost his wife because she looked back. And then he went on and he lost all his possessions, all the stuff that he had gained by serving the Lord and doing things God's way. Then he lived in a cave in the mountain and his, his own daughters got him drunk and had an incestuous relationship with him. You say, how did my life get like this? Well, I'm telling you, it didn't start out like that. It was one day after one day after the next day of your eyes and your ears and causing your soul to be vexed till your you righteous man or woman slowly slipped over into unrighteousness and into the ways of the world and you were lulled to sleep. That's the recipe for disaster. And God is saying, wake up. Wake up, O ye sleepers, and arise. The coming of the Lord is near. The difference, there's a difference in those who have God's peace and those who don't. Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you. And all whose thoughts are fixed on you. We all want perfect peace. We don't want this fear. We don't want this anxiety. We, we don't want this stress in our life. This uncertainty about our future. But we must keep our eyes on the prize. We must keep our eyes on Jesus. It says... He will keep in perfect peace those who trust in you. It's easy to say, oh, I trust in the Lord. But you're running to all the world's ways for your solutions. You trust in the Lord, but have you even thought about praying or standing in faith for any of the promises of God? Fear has been said to be the opposite of faith. The devil certainly doesn't want you to have faith. He doesn't want you to hear what I'm about to tell you today. 
That's why he's fought me so hard this week. It's like the archangel Michael who, who wasn't prayed and it took him 14 days to get there because he had to come through all the, the, the demons to, get, to break through, to get the message to him. The devil has a vested interest in keeping you in fear. Because if you ever begin to truly fix your eyes on God and build faith in your heart, he knows he's through. He knows there's nothing that he can do to penetrate your faith. He can't overcome you. If you would learn that you have authority over the devil, he would be through. And he must not let you understand that he wants you in fear because fear causes stress. And stress is the biggest killer in America. It is the underlying factor in heart disease and every, probably by every disease, cancer, everything. It is releasing things in your body that cause you to break down. Stress is your enemy. And fear brings stress. Anxiety, the same thing. It's even said that fear will cause your immune system to dysfunction. Especially if your soul is vexed and, and you're not understanding God's word, but you're, you're taking the devil at his word. The devil says, well, you know, you stay sick. You're kind of sickly. You're always going to be sick because that's just, you know, your family was sick. And you begin to speak those things. And your poor little immune system saying, I, here comes a germ. I, I, I was going to fight it, but, you know, the general upstairs... Is telling us that we're sickly, so I guess we should just let him on past. You're confusing your own body. Fear steals our joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. Fear renders us irrational and ineffective. It basically erodes our spiritual, mental, physical, and emotional health. And do you know that we live in a world that benefits greatly from our irrational fear-induced behavior? Have you watched any of the commercials on TV? They are trying to instill fear into you. The insurance company is saying, man, you better sign up with us or, you, you know, your car wrecks, you're going to be broke. Or if you don't get Medicare supplement number 16, the first 15 ain't going to work. The doctors are saying, if you don't come to me, or if you don't take, the, the drug companies are saying, if you don't take our drug, you're going to die. If you don't take these vitamins, you're going to wither away. Everything is trying to induce fear and make money off of you. Politicians. Well, my goodness, if you don't vote for us, the world's coming to an end, this, this election cycle. The stock market's going to crash. Even some churches operate by fear. Wants, wants the congregation in fear. I want you out of fear. God doesn't want you in fear. 1 John 
4.18 says, there is no fear in love. I want you to live in love, in God's love. I want you to understand how deep and how wide God's love is. You understand? For God is, there, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves what? Your soul being vexed. Fear leads to your soul being vexed. It involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That simply means God is love. So if you're staying in fear and anxiety and under stress, tremendous stress, then you're not doing something right. You're not understanding God's will, God's love for you, God's plan for you. You don't need to try harder to not... Be under stress, you need to try harder to de develop your understanding of God's plan for you. You need to draw nigh to Him. And God's presence is fullness of joy, not fullness of fear. We need to be fighting for our alone time with God. Fear is an indicator that you don't fully know God's love. There's been times in my life when nothing scared me. I told you about that time I climbed that antenna thing. I, I was so in love with Jesus, I, I just wanted to overcome any fear that I had in my life. I was afraid of heights, and I climbed like 60 feet up in the air just to show God I wasn't afraid. Crazy stuff. I mean, that, that wasn't rational, but... <laughs> But there were times, I'm just saying, there's times in my life when I was walking so close to the Lord, nothing could have scared me. The devil could have stood in front of me and I would have been like, get out of my way, Jack. Second Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We quote that. But not nearly enough. It, that's the scripture that needs to be written on our hearts. That needs to be on autoplay on our lips. That needs to be on your, your playlist. And it says here that it's a spirit of fear. I'm not talking about the fear that says, oh, I'm not going to touch that hot stove again because I got burned last time. I got a healthy fear there of burning up. Or doing something like climbing an antenna 60 feet in the air. <laughs> but that's a, there's a, such a thing as a healthy fear, but there is a spirit of fear that I'm talking about. Things that come against God's word and God's plan for you. That have you afraid. The devil. But he's given us power. You have authority in God. You have power to overcome fear. He's given us love. And there's no fear in love. And he's given us a sound mind. On a scale of 1 to 10, what would you rate your mind these days? Is it all blah, blah, blah? <laughs> I'm not up here telling you I got it together. 
I'm telling you, I don't. I'm telling you, I feel your pain. I'm in this with you. We are going through the same things. We are being bombarded by so much information these days that we can't, we can't even think clearly anymore. Do you realize not 50 years ago, when you lived your life, you only knew about you and your family and maybe one or two friends, what was going on in their life? You maybe watched the news once a week. Or maybe you saw it in a newspaper. You remember those things? It wasn't constantly being pumped at you with a slant towards what they want you to believe. Life was so much simpler. It was like walking with God at Abraham out in the country. He communed with the Lord. It wasn't being in the middle of the rat race with your soul being vexed like it is today. So the first point is we have to recognize that there is a spiritual battle happening for our souls. Wake up. Number one, realize there's a battle for what you think and how you think, what you do, where you go. There is a battle and it's all important. Hebrews 2.14 says, because God's children are human beings, and God knows this better than we do, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. You know, Jesus was a spirit, right? God is a spirit, and Jesus was a spirit too and became, until he was born as one of us in Bethlehem. He did that so that he could die in our place, otherwise he... He, there was no way for him to die because he was not flesh and blood. He, he, for only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. If you were in the Old Testament, you should be afraid of dying because the devil held the keys to death. But my Lord came and died in my place and was resurrected, and now he has the keys to death hell, and the grave. Now he is in charge. And it goes on to say that only in this way could he set free all who live their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So what do we get out of that scripture? We're flesh and blood. We're humans. We don't have it all together. Only just a small portion of this little noodle in between these ears is we from working. And it ain't working too good sometimes. And our tendencies is to calculate the information that we see and say, oh, no, and to get into fear. But Jesus came and he said, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, but is now sat down at the right hand of God Almighty, where he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is in large and in charge. He's saying, I came and I resurrected and now I have the keys so you don't have to be afraid. You can be set free. I know that you're afraid to die. And even as a Christian, I'm afraid of that process a little bit sometimes. I think, How, how's it going to happen for me? Am I going to get old? Am I going to be in a nursing home? Nobody's going to be with me. Am I going to be in chronic pain? How is this going to, is it going to be sudden? Is it going to be vicious? Is it going to, 
Those things can, be, can bring fear. But Jesus came and said, listen, I got you. To be absent from the body is to be present with me. In the twinkling of an eye, you see. To be absent from your body is to be present with me. When you die, it's just a promotion. And you remember when you made me Lord of your life, you said that I'm dying to my old self. You were baptized and you died to your old self and you was raised in a new life like me. So that old man is dead. Oh, if your old man is dead, your understanding of who you used to be and the way things used to be are dead to you. You can't kill a dead man. So why am I afraid to die? It's just a promotion. And we say, well, but you know all these things, and we bring all these worries of tomorrow into today. This light affliction is but for a moment. This valley of the shadow of death is just a journey through. Abraham was just journeying through. He went out the other side in glory, and you will too. So relax to not have faith and not to trust that God cares about you. If, if he didn't care about you, he wouldn't have died on your cross. He wouldn't have came for you. He wouldn't have become one of us. If he, didn't do, if he did all that for us, won't he freely give us everything else that we need that pertains to life and godliness? If he was willing to die for us, will he put something too hard on you? In fact, the Bible says the opposite. If you are going through trials, that that's when he was ever closest to you. That's what, if you do suffer, you're suffering so that you can help other people that are suffering when you show them how God brought you out into victory. Who by worrying can add one cubit to their stature? All those things we worry about. You know, I'm way off my notes. I remember I look back on my life and I remember the things I used to worry about. And almost 99.976% of them never happened. But all the hours I spent agonizing, shaking, trembling, causing all these emotions and destruction of my body. Jesus said, don't bring tomorrow's worries into today. Sufficient for today is the trouble therein. You got enough trouble to worry. This, this life is hard. Nobody's making light that you got issues to deal with. But he's saying, don't bring tomorrow's worries in there because tomorrow never comes. Today is today. Now is the time. What about a little faith? What about a little faith? What about we trust the one who was willing to hang on our cross for us? We might have to make this two messages. 
Fear is the default state of man. Before you were saved, fear was just what you lived in. It was just what this flesh understands. This flesh ain't, this flesh ain't the one that's saved. It's your soul that's saved, your spirit. But now that we're saved, we should be different. That's why we're a city on a hill. That's why we're a light unto the world. Because we have faith in something bigger than ourselves. Something that loves me and takes care of me. His name is God. We don't have to live in fear. Jesus came that the truth might set you free. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. Let's turn there. I'm going to read it out of the New International Version. I don't know why I just did. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we have, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Do you know what a stronghold is? It's an area in, in this noodle where the, de the devil's got you wrapped up tight. You ever hear the expression, oh, what a tangled web we weave? Well, most of our webs are in here. We have allowed... Uh, our grandmama to tell you, oh, there's a recession coming all these years, or, or you, our family stays sick, or all these things that we begin to believe about our con condition on earth and our situation. And we get strongholds built in our mind, and somebody will tell you, look, that's not real. And they're trying to shake you. Come on, come out of that, man. That's not even real. And you're like, no, it is. I can feel it. I know it. It always happens. And the devil's bound you up. That's all I can say. He's got you snookered. The devil's tricky. He don't have no new tricks, but the old tricks are working just fine. And, his, and all he's got is lies, you understand. As we're going to see, he does, has no real authority over us. If he could kill us, he would have done so already. If he could steal from you, he would have done so already. He come but to steal, kill, and destroy. But as children of God, he has no authority now. We've been bought with the price. We live under a new covenant. And we have a new master now. And he has nothing in us. The only thing the devil can do to a Christian is deceive you into harming yourself. And that's working fine for him. Because if, if we believe it, it's like faith in the, the opposite. We believe God for the promises, or we can believe the devil for the curses. And many of us are Christians, but we're believing what the devil says. And we're, we're by faith, achieving the curses in our life. You get what you believe. Your life right now is a result of the way you have behaved and thought in the past. 
That's what got you here. And until we begin to change this thing and begin to speak better word over our life and believe and build faith for the promises of God, we'll just be beat down. Our souls will be vexed like Lot and we'll lose everything. Because the devil will kill, steal, and destroy if you let him. But only if you let him. But the weapons we fight with are not the world's weapons. On the contrary, they have divine power. Remember? God's, God's love gives us power. We have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments from the devil. And every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. Unless we understand that there's spiritual warfare going on against you right now, you can say, well, I'm just a little old me. I, I'm just trying to get through. No, no you're under attack. You've got to recognize that. And two, you got to recognize that the attack is coming here because the devil has no authority to, to do outside stuff against you. But he throws those fiery darts, and, and if you put on the whole armor of God, it says, putting up the shield of faith wherewith you shall quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The, what, the darts of the wicked one, the devil, is he's throwing thoughts and suggestions at your mind. To get you to believe the lie instead of believe the truth of God. He set up strongholds in your life. But I'm here to tell you that God says the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of what Jesus says. Amen. And if you don't understand that you're in a fight, then how are you going to understand that your, your way to win this fight is take captive thoughts from the devil, put them in jail, and replace them with God thoughts? Your victory in this life is determined by what you believe. You're saved by what you believe, not by what you do. But your actions are a response to what you believe. So whatever you believe, that's what you're going to live. You're living now, like I said, what you believed in the past. But if you can change what you believe... And you can align it with God's word. You can break those strongholds. You can come out of the darkness, come out of the bondage, untangle this web, this web in your mind, and step out a free man. Out from under the curse of the law. And that's what you should do because Jesus was made a curse for you so that you wouldn't walk under the curses. That you could walk in the new covenant. It's chock full of promises, blessings, not cursings, life, not death, light, not darkness. But you got to believe it. 
God is more concerned with what you believe than anything. Because that determines the course of your life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard what you believe, what you allow in there. Lot was vexed because he allowed the, the, the devil to talk to him 24-7, day after day, day after day. And it vexed his righteous soul, and he became one of them. And he was a righteous man to start with. But on the other hand, the man that walked with God, did what God said, prayed to God, believed God, had quiet time, got out from among them. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. If you'll come out from among them, then God will change the way you think. Fix your thoughts. Whatsoever things are lovely and pure and good report, if there be any virtue, any praise, we've got to fix our thoughts. Your part in this battle is to, to, to think on good things. To know what God's word says and, and counteract the devil just like Jesus did. The devil came to Jesus saying, oh, uh, you know, make these stones bread. Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You want to live? You got to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not every word that proceeds from the mouth of hell. I thought I was going to teach this. Take every thought captive. That means the old saying, you can't, you can't be expecting when the bird's going to land on your head, but you can keep him from making a nest up there, right? Not everything you think is from you. And it's not a sin for you to have a, just a totally outrageous, ungodly thought. But when you start thinking, oh, yeah, I would, that would be fun. Now, that, that you're, you've entered into sin. But if you'll take that thought captive, say, uh-uh, that's not from my Lord. I know the voice of the enemy, and I know the voice of my Lord. And my Lord says this, and you rebuke that thought. You take it captive, and you turn it around for the good. The devil will stop throwing those darts at you so often. But you got to take control of what you believe. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. How does God transform us into a new person? What does it say right here? I just read it. I heard 37 good answers, but what's the one I'm looking for? By changing the way you think. Hello. That's how God changes you into his image. By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. That's what I want for my life. I want God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I, I trust him enough to believe that his ways are what I want. I say, God, give me the desires of your heart. Put your desires in me because I trust that if I do things your way, it's what's best for me. Even though my flesh may fail and my mind wants to argue, 
And the way I've been taught may be different than the way I've been taught, but I know your word is truth. Thy word is truth. And I know that if, if I will follow the truth, it will set me free. I don't want to be entangled. I don't want my mind a web of lies. I don't want fear, anxiety, stress. The devil wants you convinced that this is normal. That the way we're living today in 2024 is normal. But it's not. I was 30-something years old when I first went to the lake fishing by myself like I often did. I was way out in the middle of Arca Butler somewhere. And I pulled this thing out in this new contraption that I had just got called a, a cell phone. And I flipped it open, and I called home. I said, Angie, Angie, can you hear me? She said, yeah, I hear you fine. Can you hear me? I'm way out here on the lake. <laughs> this is great. This is the best thing I've ever heard of. I'm three miles out on the lake, Angie. Can you hear me? Hey, hello, testing. She said, I hear you fine. I can't believe it works. I wonder how far I can go. And I thought it was great. And there are good things about some technologies. It does save lives. There's some good things, and there's good things on it. But nowadays when I go fishing, Oh, got one. Zing, ling, ling, ling. Oh. I mean, it's, it's nonstop ringing, ringing. Uh, notification here. What are the different sounds on it? Text, emails, everything. I used, to not, I used to have a life where I only heard about emails or, or, or really I only got letters in the mail. Can you imagine how less busy my mind was back in those days? I was around back before this mess. Some of you were too. We're going to have to fight for our sanity, for our thoughts. Luke 10, 19 says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. That means the devil. I give you authority. He's saying you can trample on them. You're, they're under your feet. Ephesians says we're seated with Christ in heavenly places far above all principalities, powers, and rulers of the darkness. We have authority over the enemy. Do you understand that? He is under our feet. We can trample that scorpion under our feet. So first, we got to realize we're in a fight. Second, we got to realize the fight is for what we believe. And third, we have to understand that we have authority. we got to just walk in it. It won't even be a close fight if we would stand up in the authority we've been given in Christ Jesus. We have authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing by any means shall hurt you. Let me read that again. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. What does nothing mean? What does it mean in the Greek? What does it mean in Arabic? No thing. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Wait, what? The spirits are subject to me? That means if a demon spirit comes to me and tries to put me in fear, oh, there's a ghost in the room, or this or that, or I'm coming after you, you're fixing to get cancer, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to stand up and say, I rebuke you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Get out of my presence. You're under my feet, devil. I don't listen to you. You're, he's a liar. Everything he says is a lie. He's the father of lies. You understand? If you feel, sense that a, a, a scratching in your inners when you hear a voice and you recognize it's not of God, then it's a lie. Because he can do nothing but lie. The devil is not going to tell you a whole truth. He may tell you something similar to the truth, like he did Jesus, but twist it. But if the devil comes and saying, you know, I'm fixing to kill you, or, or you're fixing to go broke, or your kids don't love you anymore, or whatever it may be that he's tormenting you with, you, you know it's a lie. And you rebuke those thoughts. You put him under your feet, you understand. You don't have to take it. I think Jesus would be so happy to see his church rise up and take their authority instead of being cowered down by lies. He said, don't rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus said, the least in heaven is greater than John the Baptist. I mean, your names are written in heaven, you understand? John the Baptist was a great man, earthly, naturally man, natural man. But us born-again believers have so much more authority. We've been adopted into God's family. We are princes and princesses of God, children of God. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do you submit to God? You submit to what he told you to do. You do what he said do. And he says take your authority. If you will submit to God and walk and believe his promises and resist the devil, the devil's got to go. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11, the back half of this says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. It's talking about that thing that, that we're not ignorant of his ways and his lies and so forth. We're not ignorant, but are we? That's what we're trying to clear up today. Make sure nobody's ignorant of the devil's devices. And I love how it uses that word devices because I think most of us have a device in our pocket right now. I think most of us got a device hanging on the wall in our living room. We got computers. We got so many screens. And many times, what does it say? That the devil is the prince of the airwaves? He's the prince of the air in the Bible. Yes, like I said, technology can be used for good. 
But boy, that's that that you got to be careful. Don't be ignorant, huh? She said, like fire, fire can be used for good, but fire will burn your house down. We cannot be ignorant of the devil's devices. I just told you about one. All he does is lie. But another thing he does is through these airwaves, he just pumps us full of doubt and unbelief, pumps us full of the world, full of compromise, full of sin and debauchery, and, and telling us that everybody believes this way. You should too even though it's against the Word of God. But even some churches are saying it's okay. Slowly, day by day, vexing your soul. I, I hate to step on anybody's toes here today, but unless we recognize the devil's devices, we will lose in life. I wrote, you can't defeat the enemy playing by his rules and living in his camp. Uh, could y'all play a video trailer for me? There's a, I debated whether to show this or not, but there's uh, a trailer to a movie that me and Angie watched. And boy, it was enlightening. This is, this is not a Christian movie. By, these are ungodly people writing. And that's what makes it so powerful that even the ungodly are starting to realize what they have created. Okay, this is, these are former executives and engineers from companies like Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And this is a trailer to a movie I would suggest that you watch. It's called The Social Dilemma. When you go to Google and type in climate change is, you're going to see different results depending on where you live and the particular things that Google knows about your interests. That's not by accident, that's a design technique. What I want people to know is that everything they're doing online is being watched, is being tracked. Every single action you take is carefully monitored and recorded. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. I was the co-inventor of the Facebook like button. I was the president of Pinterest. Google. Twitter. Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I think we were naive about the flip side of that coin. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up. And we conflate that with value, and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. They are completely clueless. Fake news spreads six times faster than true news. We're being bombarded with rumors. If everyone's entitled to their own facts, there's really no need for people to come together. In fact, there's really no need for people to interact. We have less control over who we are and what we really believe. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. We built these things, and we have a responsibility to change it. The intention could be 
how do we make the world better? If technology creates mass chaos, loneliness, more polarization, more election hacking, more inability to focus on the real issues, we're toast. This is checkmate on humanity. A study published by the American Psychological Association in 2017 said the rate of individuals reporting symptoms of major depression in the last 12 months is up 52% in adolescents and 63% in young adults from 2008 to 2017. A 71% increase in young adults experiencing serious psychological distress in the previous 30 days. In other words, they ask them, have you experienced psychological, serious psychological distress in the last 30 days? In young adults, it's 71% higher now. The rate of young adults with suicidal thoughts or other suicide-related outcomes in that same period has increased 47%. What changed from 2008 to 2017? The mass arrival of social media platforms. We could spend, we could spend another hour here talking about what these little girls are seeing and believing about themselves and what's it causing them to do little boys, adults. The division in America, around the world, the polarization. But I don't think I have to. That was just a trailer on that. I just wanted to say, I, I debated whether to even talk about this, but I don't feel like I would be doing my job if I didn't tell you this. You will not become all God wants you to be if you're wrapped up in this Sodom and Gomorrah business. I know just a few people that have cut it off completely and gone back to the old way. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking at the news every now and then or something, but to be consumed with it to let it cause division and hatred in your heart as a believer, to be consumed with other people's, what they have and you don't, or what you have and they don't. Be consumed with a virtual reality of trying to make yourself something that you're not. Have to have likes to value yourself. These things are wrong. Do you feel stuck? I feel stuck. I've taken Facebook off my phone several times, but, but I sell cornhole boards on Marketplace, so then I end up having to put it back on there if I'm going to handle my customers right. I say, that's, that's not a good enough reason. I'll take it off again. But then I, I put Passion Church ads 
on Facebook to try to reach where Passion Church is. Much of Passion Church. So we use it's a communication tool. We got to have it. And it pulls you back in. And you, you say, well, I'm just gonna scroll just a minute just to see if anything major is happening. And then two hours later, I'm looking at something I shouldn't look at. And then I'm feeling bad about myself. Then I'm saying, God, I looked at something I, I know my eyes should not be looking at. I've done this. And so God wants, wants our hearts to be pure. It's the pure in heart that will see God. I, I want to seek after, I want my eyes to, to be his eyes. The eye is the window of the soul, the Bible says. If your eye be bad, your whole body will be bad. But if your eye is pure, your whole body will be pure. I don't know the answer. But I do know I had to say something. I'm honest about my struggles. Can you be honest about yours? Because that's the only way. It's the truth that's going to set us free. We must protect what goes on in our heart. These are the eyes and the gates to what goes down in our heart and what's planted in our hearts becomes our life. You, we cannot be who God called us to be and spend all our time living in a virtual world. It's not even real. It's not even real. I remember before all this, I used to, when I used to get a chance to preach when I was a young minister, I'd say one of my favorite lines was, we're going to have to stand before God and give an account to how we, we spent so many hours of our life sitting in front of an idiot box and watching somebody else live their life instead of us live our lives. What, what must we even begin to say now? We don't know where our life starts and where somebody else's life begins. We are so bombarded with information. It's good that I can go on Google and find out how to fix my carburetor or my fuel injector and I can do all these things. But I have more information in my mind right now that this thing, that's why I broke down this week. You understand? I'm Googled out. I'm only using 10% of this brain, and it's got enough information in there for full 50%. And most of it is useless. It's bringing tomorrow's worries into today. I'm, I don't know what I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. I'm just saying, you decide for yourself, is this healthy? Is it on the right track for you to keep your eyes on Jesus? And the lies that we believe because of this. I, I can't tell you how many people have left the church because they got on there and they started seeing all these so-called internet people that, that's bringing down this preacher or this worship band or it's just a whole cottage industry out there of bringing down the church. And then they begin, they get all, they think they're doing God a favor. Well, well I'll tell pastor that he shouldn't preach, he shouldn't say this or that. And it's like, pretty soon we can't say anything. And they're so wrapped up in, they didn't became so religious. 
And it's all because they got caught up in it. And you don't think they had good intentions by wanting to learn more? But you have to be careful. How do you know what's the truth and what's a lie? If you don't, or if you don't have, first have a firm foundation in the truth. It's self-control, people. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to have to use self-control. You know, one day, I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture personally. That means I believe we'll be raptured before the Antichrist rules on the earth during the seven years of tribulation. But if I'm wrong, and, and we go through the tribulation, one day we will be asked to take the mark of the beast. How are we going to say no to the mark of the beast if we can't say no to the beast right now? When they tell us that we won't eat or drink unless we take the mark of the beast. But if you take the mark of the beast, your soul is damned forever. How are we going to say no then if we can't say no now? Guard your heart above all else. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We got to begin to see ourselves as children of God. So to overcome, I'm going to close. I, I just, I've saddened myself today over the state of man, over the, the culture in which we live, the times in which we live. I, I don't have it, the answers. I'm giving you as much as I know. But I'm telling you, if we don't fight, we're doomed. If we just let our flesh have its way, we're doomed. Our lives will have not mattered one iota to, to our families, to our generations to come if Jesus tarries, and to the kingdom of God. So here's how we fight back. We recognize that there's a war. We learn the truth. We challenge every lie. We learn to walk in the authority God has given us, to trust Him and to submit to Him. We guard our hearts. We make the necessary changes that God is spurring us to make. We choose to think on good things. And then we can live with courage. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.